Hey everyone, this is Mike Joseph, and I just wanted to say that I hope you enjoy the episode you're about to listen to. If you do, I kindly ask that you tell a friend about Detoxicity. Even better, please rate, comment, and subscribe on whichever platform you're using to listen. I'm always on the hunt for new and interesting guests, and I like keeping in touch with those of you who listen. So, if you have a recommendation for a guest, or if you just want to know what I do day-to-day, follow me on Twitter at TizMikeJoseph, or on Instagram at DetoxPodGuy, or both. You can even email me at DetoxPod at gmail.com. On a less self-promotional tack, I really hope that you and yours are keeping yourselves and others safe during this pandemic, and even if you listen to this after the pandemic is over, there is no greater quality, in my opinion, than people who are empathetic and kind to others. Hell, it's a big reason I do this podcast in the first place. Enjoy the show, and be well. Curtis Powers, who you might remember from episode 41, described himself as a connector. This show is at least partially about connecting with others. I would say the overwhelming sentiment here is about connecting with others. I think of myself as sort of a connector, and a connection to yet another previous guest led me to Joel Frieders, the man you're about to hear from next. Joel is the director of public policy for Hope for the Day, the mental health and suicide prevention organization founded by Johnny Boucher, who you heard back in episode 34. Like many of our other guests, Joel is a multi-hyphenate. He's a recovering musician. He used to be a beekeeper. He runs a pharmacy called The Compounder in Aurora, Illinois. Perhaps most impressively, to me anyway, Joel is a second-term alderman in the town of Yorkville, Illinois. Yes, folks, I've got my first actual elected official on detoxicity. Refreshingly, Joel is unlike any other politician I've met. Over the course of our conversation, which will almost definitely be continued at some point, Joel and I talk about a variety of things, including but not limited to the topics I've mentioned previously. You'll also hear about everything from how social media taught him to be a more honest version of himself to the very quick and very frank birds and the bees talk he gave his teenage son. Joel and I could have talked for hours. Actually, we did talk for hours. One skill to add to the many skills that are part of the multi-hyphenate distinction is that Joel can chat his ass off. Here is a condensed version of our very enjoyable conversation. Sure. My name is Joel. I'm a Scorpio. I like long walks on the beach and fluffy white pillows. I married the legitimate woman of my dreams. I completely outkicked my coverage. I have no idea what the hell she sees in me. So I wake up next to the girl that I wanted to marry like every morning. Sometimes it's like just like in the movies and sometimes there are scents. I also have three kids, 12, 10, and 10. Yes, they're twins. Yes, I drink. (laughs) They're healthy and they're happy and they're learning how to make themselves happy. We're in the self-soothing portion of the first 20 years, which I unfortunately was not afforded. So I'm pretty excited to see how they turn out. As long as they're not fucking assholes, I will think I have done my job. I think that's what most parents aspire to. I don't want my kids to be assholes. Yeah, I don't want them to be a drain on the society that they are in. So in I've heard different vari- you know, variations of like the old adage of if you're going to do something, just be good at it or just take pride in it. It's like you can do a little bit of everything and never find your place in the world. But as long as every interaction you have with the majority of people, you're not making their life worse, I will be okay with that. Right. You're doing all right. Don't pile on, man. Like that's been like the thing that I'm trying to focus on is not that I, you know, routinely fuck people over. But it's like, I know that like the, my facial reactions, the words that come out of my mouth and the emojis that I use can be potentially fucking either off-putting, insulting, insensitive. And it's not that I'm a snowflake because if you zoom in on a fucking snowflake with a microscope, they're pretty fucking badass. So I'm okay being a snowflake. <laughs> I just don't want to be the reason why somebody has a worse day than they're already having. Because I think we can all admit 
there's a whole lot of fucking worse days going on. So that's why absolutely would, right. I don't want to. I don't want to fucking add fuel to fires. Any fucking any cliche. I don't want to be that dude. So in addition to the kids and my wife, which in uh, itself is a full time gig. Yeah, dude. I'm I'm cool with that. The first part. The second part is a, it's a stretch. Like they're they're cool. I love them, but as far as being roommates, bruh, you got to pick up after yourself and start pitching in. Or oh yeah, I'm not going to renew the motherfucking lease. Know what I'm saying? I remember being 12. I don't remember being 12. You don't? No. That's interesting. A friend of mine was telling me how if you don't remember your childhood, it's because you're repressing things. And I'm like, dude, I work with my dad. My dad's fucking awesome. (laughs) Yeah, he's my dad and I'm his son. So we have things that we argue about and we don't see eye to eye politically a lot of the time. But I still love the dude and I'm okay hanging out with him every day. Right. But yeah, I don't remember. Like I remember like snapshots. I remember like events or holidays, or gifts, or meals. I think my dad was the first person to make me remember a specific meal. And I remember where it was. It was at the Luxembourger Hall when I was like nine or 10 years old because they had a prime rib dinner. And you would pay (laughs) for your ticket. And then if you finished it, like, and depending on the size of it, which they would know because of your plate, like either people would clap for you or something would happen. I don't remember exactly what happened, but I ate this whole prime rib like, dad, that that was some shit. And I remember his response was, what? My boy. And he called a bunch <laughs> of like other Luxembourger people over. They're like, he did it. The boy ate the prime rib. And I, I don't remember why they were excited, but I was like, yeah. And my dad told me to remember this moment. So I was like, and I remember the moment. I was on a card chair, like a tan metal card chair uh-huh. on a fucking long table with a plastic fucking uh, tablecloth. And like, and people were smoking cigarettes because that's what you, <laughs> that's what you did back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. In so public places. Yeah. <laughs> now when you think about it, but yeah, I remember the steak and my dad told me, remember this moment. I remember going, Oh, I don't feel so good, but actually I do feel kind of good because I made myself feel this way and I can't give it back. Like right. I could throw it up and be wasted. Yeah. I, I mean, you could give mine. it back, but it wouldn't look good if you gave it back there. It would, yeah, would even either. Yeah. That could be a crime against all Luxembourgians. <laughs> so in addition to the stuff that you've already said you did, you mm-hmm. are a recovering musician and mm-hmm. you are a former alderman. And no, I have 143 more days left. Oh, all right. Soon to be former. Okay. You're, you're, so you're a politician and you work for Hope for the Day, which is how right. I came to know you. You do a lot of shit, dude. Yeah. Undiagnosed ADHD will lead a man down many a path. Right. And this is in addition to being a, a, a husband and the dad of three almost teenagers. <laughs> yeah. So can I, can I just share with you my sex ed talk for my kid? You can share anything you want with me, Joel. Okay. So here is how I conduct sex education with at least my oldest, how I've done it in the last couple of months. Ready? Consent. Sure. Consent. Consent. Consent prophylactics. That's really all you got to do. Yeah. Because, bro, I can't stand in the way. Saying no makes people do that shit. Well, that's the thing. But it's going to be, bro, you got to be okay with it. They got to be okay with it. You each got to be okay with it. And then together, you got to be okay with it. And then you got to make sure you don't have a baby or a disease. Right. Because that's, I think, the thing that scared me because. I didn't lose my virginity until I was 18, but my whole thing was, I mean, 
part one was that no one really appeared to be interested, or at least I wasn't <laughs> picking up on signs that anybody was right. interested. And part two was like, I'm afraid to get AIDS and die. Yeah. So yeah. In an era when that's not so much of a concern, even though it's still a concern, the big thing really is consent. Yeah. Even then, there are ways to express that need without actually being uh, penetration. Right. You, know, you can do. And right. then, you know, using the brain, which is the largest sex organ that we have, there's a that's whole right. bunch of fun shit you can do without needing to put yourself at risk. So right. I, I just don't ever want. Like, I think part of my, part of the thing that I'm most offended about with my race is how we can get away with the most abhorrent behavior imaginable. For and, example, I uh, mean, God I, knows history has plenty of examples, but what are you right, thinking like, of? <laughs> the thing that in my mind is that kid with the blonde hair and the bloodshot eyes and the mugshot who looks scared because he raped a chick behind the dumpster. And he got off with like a month of probation after mm -hmm. legitimately raping a woman. Like that's like, I'm, I'm not for the death penalty in 99,000% out of a hundred thousand cases. But that was one where I was like, the fact that he was able to get off made me go, you know what? Fuck. This is the death penalty type situation. Cause I was so upset with something as simple as boundaries and fucking respect of someone else's personal space. Right. It wasn't just violated when the person was unconscious. It was intentional, regardless of how drunk you are, bro. Ain't an excuse for me. Right. Drunk dialing. That's it. That's it. Right. That's what you do when you're drunk. You text yeah. people and you say, "I love you." Yeah. But to see that not only did he do it intentionally, no matter what he was, you know, under the influence of, he was still driving. But to do it like in behind a dumpster, like when do you go, man? I'm fucking up. Right. Like I'm seriously a piece of shit. Right. Like that's something where. It, excuse me that I'm burping. I'm having something fresh out of a crowler and it's it is okay. incredibly burpy. Burp to your heart's um, content. Is that a train? Yeah, subway. Sweet. So where are you at? Are you I'm, in New York or in Boston? I'm in Brooklyn. I'm in New York City. Where in yeah. Brooklyn? I'm close to Prospect Park. I have a, like, I find the thought of being in New York incredibly romantic. I've been there. I've been there three times. I take that back. I almost auditioned for Juilliard when I was 16 or 17. Oh, wow. Didn't go so well. <laughs> <laughs> that memory I remember from my teenage years. My dad and I went to Boston to audition for Berkeley College Berkeley. Music, mm -hmm. and then Juilliard to audition for Juilliard, or New York to go to Juilliard. And there's something you should know about me. I'm comfortable in relatively comfortable clothes. And it puts some people off because I look like I'm perpetually out of place. Like I would wear the same thing to both the grocery store as I would to say one of my kids sporting events. But I would also wear the same thing to work because I get to work and I put on pajamas because I fucking run a pharmacy. Right. I am perpetually comfortable. I don't have clothing that makes me uncomfortable, at least not anymore, because now it's like, no, this is the way that I am. Hell so, yeah. Like, I, and I wore a fucking tie every day to school in high school. So I was like, fuck this. So I've always been very, very comfortable trying to be comfortable. Not that I'm actually comfortable, but I, I give the appearance of being <laughs> So we go to Juilliard and back in the day, the farm team or the minor league team for the Baltimore Orioles was the Kane County Cougars. And I got this dope freaking hat that was white in the front and black in the back. And it had just a symbol, like a simple Ori or Oriole on the front and then uh -huh. a freaking Cougar on the back. And it was just dope because you would only know what it was and if you knew what it was. And I was wearing that hat backwards 
I had a backpack on. I had a Walkman over my ears and I was wearing shorts and just a t-shirt. And I walked in and I was waiting for the receptionist to kind of pay attention to me. And she said something to me and I turned the tape off. Yeah, I was bumping a fucking tape. <laughs> it was actually the self-titled Cypress Hill because I've, I've been addicted to that album for a very long time. That and totally timestamps you, by the way. <laughs> I'm an old fuck. That was like 92, 93. And right. I, I listened to that all throughout high school. Nice. But I remember she goes, can I help you? And I was like, great first impression. Mm -hmm. she's like, excuse me, can I help you? And I looked at my dad and I was like, fuck this place. And like, <laughs> okay. And we left. And it's like, I had the same experience at Berkeley, but totally different. Like I went in, did the whole tour, did the like little bit of an audition that they kind of get a taste of like what you can do and they send you to a certain guy. Well, as I'm finishing that up, they start talking about the first year curriculum. And I was like, all right, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Just tell me it's only one jazz class. He's like, oh, no, no, no. The first semester, it's all jazz. I was like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, you're going to be living and breathing and bleeding and pissing and sweating jazz. And that I sounds my, so delightful. And I looked at my dad and I was like, fuck jazz. We left. <laughs> we left. But I got to check out, you know, we saw Stomp in Soho. All right. I went to the World Trade Center. I bought two CDs at the World Trade Center. One was the band Filter, Hey Man, Nice Shot album, whatever the fuck album that is. And then, do you know Cirque de Soleil? Yeah. Remember the Alegria musical? I mean, I know of it. The only I listened to the first, you know, it was like it was Sam Goody or Sam Crow, whatever, whatever fucking right. Give, no, Crow's Nest, Wait. whatever the music store back in the day. And right. you got those actual CD players. You go up and hit play. Yeah, I hit play on something, kind of just looking around the store because holy shit, I'm in fucking New York City at the World Trade Center, and the first song comes on, and I was like, what the fuck is this? And all I got was like the middle of the third track. Still to this day, I'll hear it like played blocks away and go. I feel that. Like it's, it's just, like Spidey sense, but it's only the first two songs where I'm like, <laughs> Oh my fucking God. I just remember like getting punched in the stomach by how just, Oh, and this woman's voice dude. And she's like in charge and there's this rasp and it's kind of French. It's weird, dude. I'm, I mean, they're Canadian, so it makes they? sense. That, yeah. Okay. Well that explains a lot. <laughs> Cause it, it never mattered to me where they were from. from. <laughs> I'm just picturing you as a teenager in like your bedroom. Like, you know, doing like the little like ballet and, and dancing. Because I've always been a guitar player. So I've never had to like move my body to fucking like jive with something. I would just pick up the guitar to play with it. Sure. Or, like sit there and like imagine myself playing it or what I could do over the top of it or like doing a bass solo with your mouth. <laughs> like, just I always had something to do because I, I could just kind of tap into whatever someone else was creating. And that was like, it's a good segue into the fact that every band that I was in that was a cover band, I was going through depression because I hate playing other people's music. Like, yeah, interesting. It's funny because I played in a band in California for a little while that was reggae, salsa, merengue. And I think the reason I took to it, not only because like the music is like super fucking pocketing, right? Like, like you get into the freaking pocket and you right. for like yeah, it's very five, rhythmic. six minutes. Yeah. And it's, it's comfortable. And then you can actually watch people like melt fucking faces. Like I remember there was a guy that would play with the band once in a while and he was a horn player and he would play the two little saxes. Mm -hmm. They kind of like, like the baby saxophones, the soprano saxes, whatever, but they weren't like, they weren't Kenny G shits. They were like the, you know, saxophone. But like right. this dude would play two at one time and it was like, holy fuck. So I could play something and it was simple enough in rhythm and chord structure that I could just jam with it and like go, 
oh my God, like these people are freaking incredible. So I liked the, the fact that I could just turn my brain off and watch, but yet 90% of American rock music is very similar to that, but you still got to pay attention and, and make sure that you're stroking people's egos when you're in bands that are, are very cover music heavy. Right. That's a whole episode into itself. We should go there one day. <laughs> we should go there one day. That would be funny. So what brought you to Hope for the Day? So like you said, I'm an alderman in Yorkville, Illinois. In 2013 or 2012, I ran for office. 2013, I won because I wanted to get the roads in my neighborhood done. I'd been living in this house since 2006. And dude, like it come, in, come, in, come into my neighborhood and it was like, boom, boom, boom. And then like going around these potholes, boom, 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 boom. And I went through however many tires and however many like, you know, adjustments to my freaking alignment before I'm like, this is stupid. Like I pay more taxes than 95% of the counties in the freaking country. And I can't just like, I can't listen to music in my car without it being blasting because all you hear is my freaking shocks. Like right. I'm not even being facetious. It was stupid. So th- and that was something that I was working on as an adult is find the sore spot and fix it. So this was pissing me off. Like I was boiling on the inside. So because of how annoyed I was with that whole thing, I had complained to a neighbor of mine who's like, the alderman seat's open next April. And I was like, yeah, you, right. You see a guy like me in a freaking elected official position. And she's like, he's been there for 12 years. I was like, really? <laughs> Dude, 12 years? And I was like, how much money do they make? She's like, I don't know, call. So I called one of the guys that I was friends with that used to be an alderman like back in the day. He's like, Oh, it's like 300 bucks every other or every month. And I was like, that's not worth it. So I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll think about it. So I went to a, it was a committee meeting at either public works or public safety, whatever. And the guy that I would be running against was at the meeting. And I just wanted to like pick his brain for a second. Like, Hey, you know, what's it like? What do you do? How, how are the meetings? How long are the meetings? Like, what's your normal week look like? I just wanted to like, ask a guy that I questions. Did, some honest questions. Yeah. And I was like, hey, my name's Joel. I'm thinking about running for Alderman. I just want to know if you had a couple minutes to talk. I just had a couple of questions. He's like, in my ward? I'm like, yeah. He's like, ward three? I'm like, yeah. He's like, that's my ward. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so you'd be running against me? I'm like, yeah. And he like blew me off. And I was like, what kind of bullshit is that? Like, dude, if you're running against me, aren't I the first person that you want to fucking talk to? Like, or however the hell that's supposed to be said? Like, right. If, if, know your enemy do you not listen to fucking rage against the machine <laughs> like, so i was kind of put off and then you know being a guy from aurora illinois we find stupid reasons to hold grudges that are they're in you know they're inconsequential i would still save the guy from a burning fucking building but i'll call him a little bitch there you so go like, fuck this dude so now i got three reasons 300 bucks a month <laughs> i'll take it i get my roads done possibly and fuck this dude so right. i ran and I, I said, all right, I'll do this, but I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to kiss any babies. And I refuse to buy any signs or stickers or bullshit about anything. No website, nothing. So I did that and I ran, I got my petition signed. And what's funny is I went to a chamber event, like a chamber of commerce event where all the elected officials were. And I asked all the elected officials in my ward who weren't city officials, but like county and everything else, will you sign my petition right in front of the guy that I was fucking running against? <laughs> it was like, he was squeezing his little butthole, bro. He, he, and what's funny is that I wasn't doing it to be intimidating. I just knew that they were three blocks from my house and they were all going to be there. So I got all my, cause it's a, it's a town so small. I only needed like 37 signatures to get on the ballot. Holy shit. So it's like, I did my one street, got 20, go to this thing, get 16. Oh, I need two more. Oh, I didn't sign my own. I'll sign my own petition. <laughs> so it's like, okay, it was, you know, it was easier. So I, I run, 
I don't have any signs, but a friend of mine owns a print shop, makes me a sign that says, vote Frieders Ward 3. This is my only sign. Please look twice. And there was a happy piece of broccoli on it. And if you think I'm kidding, Google me. I'm going um, to do that. Okay, Google me. It's probably one of the funniest things that's ever happened. Also, my wife was chopping vegetables for dinner and all the kids, I just gotten all the kids out of the bus or out of the tub, excuse me, mm -hmm. I flipped the word. <laughs> I got all the kids out of the, see, I called it tubbies. That's where I screwed up. I got all the kids out of their tubbies and they were in their jam jams. And I was about to go like brush my daughter's hair because it was still fucking soaking wet. And Julie's over there chopping vegetables. And I went, Julie, smile. So all the kids are in front of the freaking sign with the happy broccoli. And she's holding a knife like, hi. She's like, what's that for? I'm like, oh, don't worry. It's just my campaign photo. <laughs> oh man, sure as shit. People were like, who's this guy? He's not even in his own campaign photo. I'm like, my gorgeous wife's holding a freaking knife in front of three cute kids that are freshly laundered. The fuck? So, I mean, I went into this whole thing relatively relaxed because A, if I lost, who gives a fuck? B, if I lost, I can complain about it. Let's be real. True. Complain about shit. You know, fake news, this fucking hypocrisy, conspiracy bullshits. I, I can be a 45 bitch. So I was like, either way, who cares? It's just something that I'm going to attempt to do. And then about two weeks later, I find out that another guy's running in the same ward. And I look at the guy's name and it said Sam Clements. And I was like, first of all, you're probably going to go like Mark Twain. Yes, his name was Samuel Clements. <laughs> I that didn't even make that connection at first. That's but funny. I knew him as Sam. Like I grew up with this dude. And what's fucked up about this is that Sam, not only did I go to grade school and our parents worked together, but the first signature on my petition was Sam's cousin. Huh. The, first, the first signature on Sam's petition was also Sam's cousin. So a couple of years later, I walk up to Kevin. I'm like, dude, you know that you fucking signed my petition and his petition for the same fucking elected position? He's like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, and you were going to tell me? He's like, no. <laughs> That's Kevin Shalelli, and he's a dick, but I love him. <laughs> really fucking funny thing to do. So I ended up running against an incumbent who had been there for 12 years. And then my friend Sam, he had never run for shit. Just like me, I had never run for shit. We actually had a meeting over a burger and a Bex bomber. I'm saying, dude, just quit. Let me beat this motherfucker. When I get my roads done, you can take over. He's like, nah, dude, I'm going to do this. And I was like, I respect you, but I'm going to fucking pummel you. Kill you, and yeah. What's, but what's funny is that I still didn't go out and buy signs. I didn't fucking pay for any advertising. What ended up happening was the, you know what patch.com is? No, what's that? So patch is like, I think it was Yahoo's attempt at making hyper-local news sources. Oh, huh, okay. Um, so patch.com. Well, Patch sent me an email asking me questions. And much like you, I thought that the guy was just shooting the shit with me. So I answered the questions as if you were asking me the questions. And then they published them. I didn't have to do any fucking. So you can look it up and then patch.com. I was being 100% honest, but I wasn't expecting the guy to be documenting what I was saying. Right. So that was, that was pretty funny. But that happened. And then election night happened. And I didn't assume that I was going to win. So I was just hanging out. And then one of my dudes goes, dude, you won. I was like, <laughs> I won by seven votes. I beat a three-term incumbent by seven votes. Seven votes. Mm -hmm. Holy yeah. shit. Fucking hilarious. <laughs> so then the best thing about this is that right away, the radio station calls me and says, uh, Alderman elect Frieders. And I was like, <laughs> awesome bitches. Like I was, I, I had had like four antiheroes from Revolution Brewing. So I was, I was feeling good. A little tasty, expect, yeah. yeah, I didn't expect to win anything, but. So the radio station calls and they're asking me questions and I don't use the word fuck a little bit. Like it's something that me and my friends do. I use fuck a lot of it. Nothing wrong with that. A metric fuck ton of fucks. 
And I know like, like my friend JB told me that anyone who does it, they just, they look cheap. And I'm like, ah, see, I'm not trying to be cheap, but I'm also not trying to like throttle back myself unless I'm in front of like a group of fucking seniors or a bunch of babies. Like I'm right. just going to let it roll. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. And I'm not saying, fuck you. I was connecting a sentence and I was like, ah, uh, fucking. And I said, fucking like that. And the guy hits a button. And then all of a sudden, like there's a, like, it goes right to commercial. And this dude who was younger than me at the time lambasts me for being unprofessional and immature. And I was like, bro, first off, you called me. <laughs> Seriously. I no, didn't know what state I was in. And he tried to kind of go at me because my Twitter handle at the time was my ball swang. Sorry, you just put food in your mouth right when I said that. But see, he doesn't know that it was from a botched vasectomy and that I almost fucking died. So fuck him. I love the guy right now. But back then I was like, dude, fuck you. So he tried to give me shit. And I was like, bro, you need to back the fuck up off. I can just hang up and say, no, no, no. So he comes back from commercial. I apologize. And he asked me one more question. And then I disconnect. Well, the next day I go to the gym and I didn't know this, but my friend Rich, I just thought he was my friend Rich. Come to find out he's the fucking chief of police. I was like, you're a chief of police. He's like, yeah. How did you not know? I'm like, I just work out with you. I don't fucking know. Right. But he's like, he got into, or he had talked to people that night because, you know, it's big news in a small town. And he's like, all the police are in support of you <laughs> because I said, fuck on the radio. I'm like, oh, cool. So I got something going for me. So that's a long end around to get to where, where I'm talking about. So I'm sorry for the aside, but no, it's fine. It's been a while since I've been around people that are <laughs> able to like talk freely. So I appreciate that. So I'm an alderman. I say I'm going to run for one term, get the roads done and get the fuck out. Of course, it gets close to December of the second term that I had to run for. And these roads ain't getting done anytime really? soon. I'm still being a dick. And it's a lot of stuff that I have to kind of do in the back room in the executive session. Nothing gross or whatever, but like I have to basically state my case calmly and then gradually escalate it to a point where I freak out. And the next time we talk about it, I apologize. And then it slowly escalates again until I freak out and I'm banging the table. And it, this happened over the course of four fucking years, dude. That's insanity. So like, so like knowing that this has to be a long game and I have to basically play big brother in local municipal government without actually manipulating people because I'm not a dick. So I basically had to just state my case, but in a way where it was humorous during public meetings, like we would be talking about anything. And I would mention, hey, if there's a little bit of an overage, would you guys mind just repaving my entire neighborhood? Because my developer went belly up and the guys who bought the fuck, and I would just string together this missive that's all factual in a funny way. And then like things started clicking where like the newspaper guy would come up and we're talking about something completely different. He's like, can you expound on what you were talking about with, uh, with the developer and your roads? I was like, sure, have a seat. <laughs> and I fucking went in, dude. Like if you look up and I hate to keep saying that, I'm not being hey. a dick, but just to get your backstory so you understand, look up Whispering Meadows, Roads, Yorkville. Dude, people bought houses here at full price and then paid money into a fucking security bond to make sure that if the developer went bankrupt, the roads would be done. They'd be able to fucking drive to their house. It's better than an SSA. You know what SSA is? What's an SSA? Special service area, which means that instead of actually paying for your roads with the purchase of your home, you pay for your house and then you pay a mortgage on the fucking pipes under the road. That's an SSA. So you don't want that because it's, no. all right, I got a $2,500 mortgage. Now I'm going to pay $450 a month to fucking pay for my roads and my plumbing. That's stupid as shit. I agree. So I didn't, we don't have an SSA. We bought here because it didn't have this. So I know how to fucking talk about it. I know how pissed off I actually am, but I have to kind of condense the anger and frustration of a whole group of neighbors. I mean, I got 140 houses in my neighborhood that just never got fucking roads. That's a shitload of angry people. 
So knowing that, I could also help kind of control the narrative because nobody had any idea how to communicate with the city government. And I was just learning. So I was very, like, I was intentionally amateur in my communications. I wasn't violating the Open Meetings Act. You can go ahead and FOIA that shit because I know somebody's listening. But I was intentional in every question that I asked and in every person that I contacted. And when I would meet people like at, like events or freaking luncheons or we had this, basically it was like summer camp for elected officials in Chicago. That sounds horrible. It's actually like for a geek like me, it was cool because I was learning about like, you know, the 40 year water plan and shit like that, which just okay. kind of fires me up because I don't know about y'all, but I plan on drinking water for the rest of my life. Me too. So if it's not there, it's like, that's a good thing. Yeah. Because yeah. water, water will probably be the next health crisis and commodity that we have a war over. That's just my call. Wow. Mm -hmm. So I was learning how to kind of convey frustration, but also let other things get taken care of. I wasn't a little bitch. I think about it. I think I wasn't a little bitch about it, but we got to a point where we can make a play and like prepay in the hopes of making something back in a settlement or sure. just letting it fucking sit on. And I had to basically go, please, I will never run for office again. Just fucking do this, please. And I, I think that's what did it because eventually like, all right, let's get Joel's roads done. And my road magically at the end of that one year, the roads in Whispering Meadows was number one on the priority list of the entire city council. That's fucking huge. So yeah, I got my roads down. So I can say I'm the only politician who said he was going to do something, one thing, do it. And then GTFO, like Costanza, bro. I'm going <laughs> to be like, mic. I'll see you later, y'all. And I'll just saunter around out of that motherfucker. Like, I'm ready. Like, I, I did what I said I was going to do. Well, of course, this happens. I get my roads finally in 2018, the summer of 2018. But in July of 2017, and this is how I get to hope for the day, July of 2017, one of my favorite people on the planet completed suicide. Mike Malinowski, otherwise known as Mike One. He's the littlest rapper from the Chicago music scene. One of my favorite people, like the biggest fucking smart ass on the planet. He would say things that were so highly inappropriate that you were kind of mad at him, but also thankful that somebody said it because we were all thinking it. <laughs> like he had that kind of sense of humor. But the thing that was so fucking cool about him was that he was indie hip hop to like, to the end of times, right? Like this motherfucker, yes, he had the frosted tips and the hat slanted and he kind of, you know, he looked annoying, but he wasn't because this guy would go to everybody's show. Like hip hop message boards back in the day was kind of how the Chicago scene kind of formed itself. Sure. Like I've met a couple best friends through message boards and I've joined a couple bands through message boards. So like that, I know I'm dating myself, but it's still, that was a, a, a incredibly superior method of communication because you got to feel people out for their sense of humor and what they actually do. Well, this dude would say shit on the internet and you're like, oh, this guy would never say it in person. <laughs> and then he would say it in person. He would say it in person. So he had credibility from the standpoint of he wasn't playing, like this is just how he was. Right, it wasn't but, a character. Yeah, but he was incredibly supportive of every, didn't matter if you had a fucking, a dubbed CD that you hand wrote the name on it, he would pay cash for it. He would be on every guest list in the Chicago hip hop scene and wouldn't take it. He would pay for entry. Wow. And he would go up to people and say, hey, man, it sounds fucking good. He would compliment you or he'd be say, hey, man, it sounds really good. But I think you got to start looking at this. And he would give people like, hey, maybe hire a sound man, like a personal guy, because, you know, and he'd tell them why. Like, and he was doing it not to sound superior, but because I think it's because he wanted he would want somebody to do that for him. So I met this dude through the message board. And then because he basically felt me out for over 18 months to allow me to open up for him and this dude would throw 
hip hop shows that were rock concerts. Like, I don't, you're not from Chicago. You wouldn't know, but there was a place called Abbey pub. And it's like, I think I played that place a hundred times. And I don't think I've ever seen it a third as full as that dude would fill it. Wow. And to see a whole group of people just like waving you know, their hands and you know, just, getting into it. Fuck. And he would combine classic rock tracks with hip hop tracks. And so he had one called welcome to Chicago. And it was, it was kind of like, I remember saying to him, like, dude, that's the corniest rap lines I've ever heard. He's like, if you want to become a city's fucking anthem, you're going to have to cut a few corners. You got to be corny. Whatever. But then he played me the beat, and it's uh, Chicago from Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Uh Uh-huh. Dude, when the bass dropped, you're like, (laughs) matter that the words were somewhat corny, but it was like, uh, like, did you ever listen to MC Juice? No. So Juice was the guy that beat Eminem at uh, Scribble Jam. Oh, wow. Okay. So Juice is is J-U-I-C-E. It's an acronym. Juice is fucking incredible, right? Juice tried to make a couple Chicago anthems, just did not hit. Little Mike won the white boy from the freaking Northwest suburbs. Motherfucker crushed it. And it beat like just the beat itself. You would hear it like at hip hop shows for like De La Soul and shit when they're getting ready to kind of like turn the house lights off before they fucking come out. Sure. That would be just the beat would be on fucking repeat for like 10 minutes because the whole crowd's <laughs> doing this. Like that's, that's the dude could pick a fucking beat, man. So, I mean, he was, he was a good dude and he was important to me from the standpoint that he taught me how to act. Like I want to be the guy that supports everyone else because that's how you earn support. And uh, so he completed on July 20, 28th, 27th, 28th, or 29th. I have a hard time remembering because I've got a weird thing in my brain where unless the date falls on the first or the seventh, I'm going to be confused about what the date is, but he passed away. And along with a large group of friends from the Chicago music community, I had no idea what to do with myself. Like just full on, like, what do you do when you, don't eat like I don't even I don't have an appetite I'm exhausted but I can't sleep I'm jittery but like I can't stand up straight like nothing worked like I remember I like my right hand hurt so bad which you know comes from a guitar but like my right hand hurt so bad that I couldn't start my car with my right hand so I reached over and did it with my left and I like pulled the muscle like I was just falling the fuck apart and I remember going fuck am I gonna do it myself I don't even like why does this bother me so much he wasn't my best friend like, why am I letting the death of a guy that I knew? And I started kind of cutting myself off with the knees going, oh, get over it. Like trying to, I don't know if I was trying to stand up for myself saying, get the fuck over it. Or if I was legitimately belittling myself, but it was not a pleasant place to be up here. Mm-hmm. So, but I had to keep going to meetings because dude, the streets are really fucking important to me here. I know it sounds stupid. They're just fucking slabs of asphalt, but I had a goal. It was going to take me some fucking years and some patience. And I had to learn the process along the way and Robert's rules of order and fucking all that other bullshit that goes along with actually getting something done. And that was a goal still. And it was still a priority, but it was like, ah, I can wait a couple of years. I mean, it's not going anywhere. So I immediately started like pissing over all the things that I was into and that slight and gradual kind of, you know, the Homer Simpson gift going back into the bushes. Yeah. Oh yeah. you got Simpsons on your mind. I do, bro. I do. But like, I kind of like just sucked back into what I was doing, which is just going to work and then not doing much socially. And I had to keep going to meetings. So I went to a city council meeting and I remember the mayor had called on me to read something because I had set something up and I was just kind of sitting there. The Alderman Frears, will you do the honor? And like the whole place is like clapping, whatever. And I'm, I'm there and I'm looking around the room and I had no idea that he was talking to me. And he's like, all right, I'll take care of it. So he got up and did the presentation and he turns around and he goes, you okay? And I was like, yeah, dude, fine. 
because don't ask a guy how he is. He's fucking right. fine. Yeah, always. And, and it's not even that I'm like uber masculine. I'm just like aware that we don't go there. Like, if I wanted you to know, I'd fucking tell I, you. Right, like, I just I, told you. I, yeah, like I, I was, it's like I had a freaking wall up, not even trying to be a hard ass just because I'm a fucking, was being a toolbox. So he calls me that night. So I got home from city council, just fucking sat on the couch and I was staring at the wall. My wife's watching TV this way. I'm watching the freaking vent on the other side of the wall that way. And he calls, he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, nothing. He's like, well, we got to do something. I'll wait. And just sat there. And I was like, this is the mayor of a small city. Sure. Yeah. It's a small city. This is an important person where I am. Right. Calling me going. Okay. And he just sat there. And I was like, what the fuck is this all about? And he's like, well, what are your strengths? Like, what can we play to, to allow you to kind of focus on something without focusing on what you're focusing on is almost like, let's distract ourselves, not alcohol, not drugs, not, you know, beating people up, not sleeping. Like, what can we do through action? And it was a conversation about, you know, what do you do? Like, well, I'm a writer. He's like, let's write something like, well, the person I would write something to is dead. And he's like, fair enough. What can your voice do? Who have you met? Who do you know? Like, how do you build a platform? How do you stop this from happening again? And I was like, all right, well, the easiest thing to do anywhere is to, can we adopt a proclamation? You know, it's very simple. It's symbolic. It's a gesture, but it's meant to bring attention to one specific cause. Sure. And I was pissed. So I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to do something to highlight September coming up um, as suicide prevention month, because I don't even talk about this shit. And that after I counted, that's the fourth person that I'd lost to suicide. And I was like, fuck, man, like, I don't have time to be thinking about these really, really difficult things to think about and talk about and learn about and all that shit. So I figured the easiest way to deflect from actually solving a problem is to adopt a proclamation. So I drafted something that basically said three things, suicide's an issue. There are services available to help with that. And you are enough. And I drafted this thing, got approval from a guy, my friend, Tony, who used to write for the newspaper. And then my friend, Jen, who works for another suicide prevention organization said, it's fucking awesome. Cause it highlighted who the local partners were like, who's actually doing work in this area? Because I didn't fucking know. And I asked the mayor, Hey, can you read this? Is this cool? He's like, yeah, let's adopt it. So we adopted it. He's like, do you want to read it? I'm like, fuck no. I couldn't say the word suicide for three years, dude. So he adopts it. We go home. He hands me the hard copy. We go home. And I'm on the toilet. I'm not going to lie. I'm on the toilet on my phone. And I copied all the text from the proclamation. And I emailed every elected official that I knew personally that didn't treat me like a fucking dumbass and said, hey, I'm hurting. Will you read this? And yeah, we got like 26 cities, the state, three counties that first year. And I was like, fuck, all right, people are listening. People have a connection to this. And I was like, all right, sweet. So I, I did something. I can move on. And then 2018, it was like, it was the winter of 2017. My mayor, we were having a beer. And he's like, hey, so what are you going to do different next year? I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? He goes, your little, your little project. Like, my little project? Are we talking about my genitals? And <laughs> it, it went a whole different direction. It was not about my penis, which was great. I don't need any more reminders. I mean, I feel um, like it would be weird to be talking to the mayor about <laughs> your, your, your junk. You'd be surprised how normal everyone is when there's not somebody going... I'm going to be something that I'm not. So the, Gary Galinsky, who is the mayor, 
was fucking cool, man. Just always just did not treat me like a dumbass. Like the night I got elected, he called me to say congratulations. And my son Dylan was calling me from upstairs because he had just taken this huge shit. And he says, daddy, come wipe my butt at the top of his top of his lungs. And I was like, oh, Mr. Mayor, I'm sorry. He's like, it's Gary. And I've been there. Go take care of business. I'll wait here. So I thought I put him on mute and I put the phone on the freaking bathroom counter and I go over and I give him a couple good wipes. Then I flush and then I complimented him. <laughs> I remember this because I'm like, dude, nice work. And then <laughs> I flushed it and then we both washed our hands and then I went to go hit mute or unmute and I hit mute. So the whole time my future mayor is <laughs> He's listening, listening to, to you compliment my son's shit, which was, it was a great, like it was an icebreaker. Like you would not believe. So he kind of like suggested that I do it again. I'm like, fuck, dude. Okay. Yeah. That's probably a good thing. I mean, it was a conversation that needs to be had. So I just need to approach this methodically and try to be organized about this because before it was just, Oh, have I already emailed you about this? What if I actually came up with a system that would allow me to just hit as many people as possible? So I'm thinking, all right, I'll buy a database. They don't make databases for locally elected officials because the turnover was either two years or four years. Ain't nobody got fucking, nobody can scour the entire United States in a year, yeah. let alone four years. And yeah. did you know that 90% of all the freaking um, cities in the fucking state or country are under 10,000 people? I Those didn't people, really think of that, but that, I mean, it makes sense. Those people don't have websites. They don't have emails. They barely even have phone numbers. They got fucking PO boxes and they're not even in the city that they are representing. Wow. That's, that's how big and fucking vast this fucking country is. Like my goal to hit every city, I think there's 19,035 municipalities. So that can include townships, counties, cities, but they're not necessarily overlapping fully, like in full, or at least uh, more of a majority in land size. But like, I figured, all right, how am I going to attack the entire country? And I, I found a database of every county and every state organized by population. I'm like, fuck, I'll just hit all the ones that are over, you know, 15,000 people. They got to have websites. There's a whole lot of cities that are over 15,000 fucking residents. That don't have websites? That's Dude, hard. That's so weird in 2020, 2021. Well, to... this was 20, 2017, 20, there's 2018. Still, yeah. But you would, ex you would expect more. Well, you got to realize that there's probably not a reason to have fucking updated minutes and audio available at every meeting when there's only two like county meetings a freaking year sometimes. I mean, mm. like you always assume that where other people live is just how you live. Sure. But like I started getting into Pennsylvania. They even got cities, bro. They got fucking boroughs. <laughs> They're either spelled B-O-R-O-U-G-H or B-O-R-O. Like which right. is it, bro? Are we using vernacular? <laughs> fucking actual words. So like, I was learning about government across the country because it was fascinating, which is probably one of the reasons why I actually enjoy the summer camp for elected officials. But in doing that, I was do like I sent all out over like 3,300 emails in the year 2018. Just I would copy a, a, the body of the email with links to get the freaking proclamation and all that shit. But I would go find the city on Google, find one elected or one appointed official and two or three elected officials. Copy paste, copy paste, copy paste. And then I would send it to them, but I would change the name of the subject. So if somebody responded, I would see that it was a different city in a different state. Sure. So I came up with like this whole methodical Gmail snafu where it was like half of one screen on the left was that, that me tracking all of my emails. The other half was me Googling what county I'm in. Then the other half was all the city websites that I opened and then the actual email that I was sending. So I came up with this system 
And I think I actually used that to hide from like going to counseling because I would just do this until like two or three in the morning and get as many people as I could to say yes. So that year I got like 237 cities in 40 different states. And I was pretty proud of myself. But what I was learning is that all these emails were coming back and they were like, they were asking me questions that I didn't know how to answer. And they were telling me things that I had no business knowing. Like really, really tragic, fucking painful stories of elected sure. officials who had attempted and completed. Or I found out the fire chief in the city where I went to uh, college, he completed suicide on duty in 2016. Oh, goodness. So it's like, this isn't just a problem with my friends four times in my life. This is a problem that as I started to kind of learn on my own for that the first part of 2018, there's a lot we're not doing right, but there's more importantly, there's a lot we're not doing. And the majority of that has to do with we're not teaching anyone how to fucking cope with shit without it being corny, campy, butterflies, you know. I don't want to do something that makes me feel uncool for lack of a better term. Right. I right. felt like being a guy in the conversation around mental health and suicide prevention was almost like, I felt like that one male kindergarten teacher, which shout outs to my friend, Steven, who was the best male kindergarten <laughs> teacher and rapper on the planet. Wow. That's a, that's a double, uh, Dude, uh Google uh, this motherfucker, Sankofa, S A N K O F A. This motherfucker has the deepest voice. The biggest beard is the nicest freaking dude. And is also a kindergarten teacher and he changes people's lives. So wow. that's like, I, I give more props to this dude than probably any of my other teacher friends. Cause he's not just dealing with the fact that he's a dude with kindergartners. He's dealing with that stigma, but he's doing it and it's fueling him to be the best example he could be for young children. So I'm sending out all these freaking emails, right? And the stories that I'm being told and the things that I'm kind of encountering are making me uncomfortable to the point sure. where I actually started uh, talk therapy during this time because I was like, I haven't fixed the suicide reaction shit. I haven't healed from this. I'm basically holding myself accountable by saying that I'm going to do that project again this year, but I'm not really getting any help. And like, I was, uh, I was doing a lot of this proclamation work kind of for one specific organization, assuming that I was going to be like, not brought on staff, but at least told, Hey, there's going to be a seminar on March 5th. We'll cover the cost or right. it's free. Just show up. But I never got any direction. And it was like every time that I was afforded an opportunity to do something, it was to raise money. And I was like, money's cool and all, but I don't have money because I have three kids and I run a pharmacy <laughs> and I'm an alderman uh, and I'm still paying off student debt. And, you know, there's all these reasons why I have not a lot of money. And I'm like, I have time. I don't have money. And they didn't need my time. I mean, unless I ran a 5K and raised the money, they didn't need my time. So I didn't know how to get an education. So like I did the mental health first aid course. I did a couple webinars before they were like really webinars. I mean, I guess they were webinars, but there was no like interaction. It was just like hit play. Like I, I just, I didn't feel like I could make an impact other than either raising money or doing these proclamations. And the proclamation didn't have like, if my goal was to connect the city with their mental health resources and Google was not helping, how am I going to make an impact around the fucking world? And it was like a super simple question to myself that I had no idea how to fucking answer because Dude, if you're in Salt Lake City and I'm in Hackensack, New Jersey, and you call me and you're on a freaking bridge when you're contemplating suicide, right? If I call 911 where I'm at, it's going to take me 15 minutes to get you help. Right. If, if you call the suicide hotline, you also have to realize that that's a hub. That means that the call goes into New York and then it's spread out to all the different brick and mortar call centers. There are a number of states in this fucking country that do not have brick and mortar call centers. 
And one thing, as of January of this year, they do not allow people at suicide lifelines to work from home. So everybody who is working at the fucking National Suicide Lifeline is working at a brick and mortar, even during a global pandemic. Wow. Sounds a little fucking stupid. Yeah. Now, that might have changed since March 13th. Who the fuck knows? Because that's not hasn't been a focal point of mine. But I was still at the point where no matter what I do with getting involved in this type of work, I'm going to always be behind the eight ball because I can't explain what someone can do other than say, just go Google. So how do you become more of an impact when you're, you know, limited by logistics? Like my geography fucks me for anything more than a 20 minute drive. So knowing that, what the hell am I going to do? And that's why I was just, I was fucking hungry, dude. Like, all right, I'm going to keep doing the proclamation because it's getting people talking, but I just need, I need to, I need to hitch my fucking horse to something, you know? And I was getting ready for a riot fest in Chicago, which comes around every uh, September. And I was looking to see who was on the freaking docket for that year. And I went on there and one of the first articles I saw was Mike Venoble from Hope for the Day talks about suicide prevention. I was like, oh shit, my favorite festival talking about a topic that for some reason is now something that I'm passionate about. And I read this article, this interview, and the dude sounded like me. You know, he wasn't dropping full on fucks in the interview, but I was like, (laughs) this dude fucks. Like I could just tell. So I just Googled him and then I emailed him. I'm like, hi, I'm Joel. I'm out in Yorkville, not too far from you. I'm trying to do this one thing. I kind of feel lost. I just, I'm looking for some help. Could we grab a cup of coffee? And he's like, fuck yeah. Why don't you meet me at Sip of Hope, which is our coffee shop in Chicago in Logan Square. And that's where 100% of all the proceeds go back towards the suicide prevention and mental health education that hopefully right they on. Can the country. And so I, I took time off and drove out the sip of hope and I walk in and I was in a t-shirt and jeans and tattoos and he was in a t-shirt and jeans and his shirt, it said, have hope. And it was a picture of Biggie and a Biggie was in that old school freaking Cosby sweater with the lines going down yeah. in the rainbow. Like, I think the first time I met Johnny, he was wearing that shirt. I th- him, Johnny and Carl all have that shirt and I sure. fucking hate him for it. <laughs> but he walked in and I was like, well, I feel really weird. He's like, why? I'm like, I meet this dude for the first time. I'm super jacked about meeting him and I can't keep my eyes off his tits. <laughs> He's like, it is a dope shirt though, right? I'm like, bro, I'm like, I want to take that off of you. Like, I want to switch clothes. And what's also funny is that, so he's wearing that shirt with the half hope and the rainbow sweater. I was wearing, at the time I was a beekeeper and I had a, a bee company called the Aurora Bee Company. And I had redone my logo to include- I find out more interesting shit every minute we talk. Is there a bee on me? There is not. Oh shit. There's a bee on me, bro. That is a bee. That's a fucking bee. So I brought him a jar of my honey, but the logo at the time, I had changed it from just being like browns and tans, because that's the real color of the bee, not black and yellow. I had made it a rainbow pattern. And then at the end of co, I made the period a semicolon, because I was passionate about treating people like they're fucking people, and then making sure that I don't lose any more friends and family. So I walk in, and I'm wearing a purple shirt with that logo, and I was like, two bros with rainbows. What's up, rainbow? <laughs> and it was like an instantaneous friendship. So he's like, all right, well, tell me, your, tell me your story, man. And I gave him like the five-minute version, because at that time, it was a five-minute version. And he's like, it's amazing how the simple act of conversation can change the world. And I was like, fuck, this dude's like dropping full on fucking like proverbs and shit. Venopolisms have like, like Venopolisms have taken over my fucking world. Like for the last four years, like I'm, I'm team Venopal through and through, but bro, I got a little, like a little leather bound book in my fucking ass pocket. It's all the Venopolisms. I just live <laughs> by them. When I don't know what I'm doing throughout the day, I just spin through them. Pulling out and at random yeah. and just has, it gives you strength. Yeah. But the cool thing about this dude is that 
I was saying a word that he caught up on or caught on to. And rather than making me feel bad, he goes, Hey, just, I want to point something out to you and just kind of like make you aware of something that I don't think you're aware of. And he told me what the word committed actually means. He goes, was your buddy, Mike, was he a criminal? I was like, no, why? He's like, did he, were there any crimes that he was found guilty of? I'm like, no. He's like, so he didn't commit anything. And I was like, no. He's like, so your buddy died by suicide. He attempted and he unfortunately completed. And I was like, yeah. And then I cried like a little bitch, like, oh my God, I can't believe that I was talking about my dude like this. He's like, you're the first person I've ever seen respond like that, but that's absolutely hundred percent correct. You're not calling him a criminal because you're unaware of the power of words. He's like, words are the most subtly stigmatized vehicles for fucking pain or promotion on the planet. And I was like, fuck dude. I love it. You, you don't even know that you're saying something that could be hurting people. Like the people who were so pissed off about the Redskins football team. Do you really give that many fucks? And when you find out that, yes, yeah, some are offended and some aren't, but wouldn't it be nice just to like say something without thinking that, oh, I'm going to piss somebody off? Right, without like, feeling like somebody's going to be offended. Yeah. For good reasons. Like, yeah, if, if I call an orange an orange, it's because it's a fucking orange. Right. If I call it like a citrus asshole and that's all <laughs> I call it, it doesn't necessarily mean that the orange is going to take offense. But wouldn't it be nice not to teach my kids to call fucking oranges citrus asshole? I'm not doing it to be a pussy. I'm doing it because I'm trying to be aware of other people's experiences. Right. That's it. So this dude in the first fucking hour that I meet this guy, he teaches me something that completely changed the way that I communicate about suicide. Like in the first fucking hour. And I've been doing this for like a year and a half at this point. Like nobody stopped and said, here, Joel, take this class. This dude had a conversation with me and changed the way that like basically changed the course of my life because i realized if it's something as simple as a word i am i like the written word i like the spoken word so that means i'm a rap fan and i'm also a fucking fan of literature and i like right. writing and I, you know i've done a couple books and i like i'm a fan of how we can, can connect but this dude changed my shit and i was like man i want to i want to make an impact like that because imagine having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody every couple hours and getting to like drop that bomb on them and I was like, bro, I, I hope you're not upset, but I'm, I'm not going anywhere. Like this is you talking to you has been probably the best thing that could have happened for me. And then he goes, well, let me tell you my story. And he tells me how he's connected to mental health. And it's like, you're a fucking hero. And I wouldn't have known this had I not like, what the fuck? And then what's also fucked up is I was sitting there, uh, maybe five or six months later, I was a guest on a podcast there and uh, I'm sitting there and I look over at the refrigerator where they pulled out my fresh Topo Chico. <laughs> Above it was a, it was a microphone and it said M-I-K-E. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? And nobody told me that the dude that I was honoring by getting involved in suicide prevention was friends with people that are part of Hope for the Day. His fucking sticker was on the fucking refrigerator. I was like, I'm supposed to be here, huh? So like all these like really, really weird coincidences and like, moments of not zen or joy or like holy shit but like my whole world has been completely shook four or five times in my life in this particular like area and they all have to do with impacts that have happened because of the people in hope for the day so it's like i was learning fuck everybody's a little fucked some oh of us, some of us are a lot fucked yeah I, but I, it's the it's those who are willing to keep standing up it's, it's the acknowledgement. I mean, first and foremost, I think there's the acknowledgement that, I mean, 
the way I would say it is yes, we're all fucked or we're all damaged. There's something, yeah. there's something about all of us that we have to work on, which a lot of people don't realize, which boggles my mind, but the acknowledgement and then the work on it is the important stuff. It's not even about fixing necessarily. Yeah. It's about saying, Hey, I, I am not a fucked up person maybe, but there are qualities about me or things about what I've lived through that fuck me up. Right. That make me act in a way that I wouldn't do if I didn't have the sub subconscious things that are veering my direction of my vehicle into a direction that I wouldn't choose to be. Right. So the first step is actually acknowledging it. And then the second step is working on it. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, that's so, super important. That's kind of like how I was approaching this. Like, all right, I've acknowledged those three things in the proclamation. Suicide is an issue. There are resources available. I'm enough. <laughs> so as I start going through like the, the talk therapy <clears throat> process, I remember my counselor at the time, she's like, well, do you have any other experiences with suicide? <clears throat> and I was like, yeah. And she's like, and, and I remember, like, <laughs> right, I remember yeah. sitting there going, I don't want to talk about this. And she's like, well, if you don't want to talk about it, I understand, but you're not going to move past. You're not going to heal a wound without taking off the, the crusty bandage. And I was like, ah, oh, fuck, this is going to hurt. So I had to kind of like, all right, yeah, my college roommate completed suicide on May 10th, 2003 in the house that I gave him, I gave him my sublease. Wow. And she's like, that probably would have been nice to know about seven or eight weeks ago. I was like, I wasn't ready to talk about it. I was like, are you ready right now? I was like, fuck no. So like <laughs> having to go back to that and going, shit. I haven't talked about this since around the time that happened because 2003, I had just graduated college. We were waiting for our first townhome together to be built. So I was living with my in-laws before they were my in-laws. Mm -hmm. And you know, you're, you're an adult. Now you graduated college, you got engaged, you bought your home, you're about to move in. So it, it was mother's day, dude. It's fucking gorgeous out. Another beautiful day. I lose a friend, but in this instance, because life was so busy. And even though back then it felt like I was never going to grow up, that was the fast period. All the big things happened, you know, college spouse, you know, traditionally speaking, according to ABC and NBC fucking, you know, 7 PM TV shows, that's what's supposed to come. Sure. So I didn't really have much time to stop and like mourn or like talk about it or understand why it was so painful. I just kind of plowed ahead and like forgot about it. And if I went backwards, he goes, all right. So we got through that over the course of a couple of weeks. And then she's like, is there anybody else? And I was like, yeah. And then she's like, well, tell me about it. I'm like, well, it wasn't a guy that like, I was friends with, but he was my drum teacher. She's like, like, I remember I caught my counselor saying fuck a couple of times. And I was like, I'm not talking like making this. She's like, I don't think that you're making it up. I just think that somebody probably should have said, and I was like, what? She's like, I'm not going to finish a sentence. That's unprofessional. <laughs> but like, it's like, if you've gotten nine concussions, you should, you should be aware of something, right? Mm -hmm. If you've lost people in a very violent fucking fashion and we never talked about it ever, and you've got a very short fuse now, wouldn't it be helpful to kind of try to rule out all these reasons as the things that are shrinking your fuse? Like just, you know, if, you know, I don't know. Just saying, like, I want to be acutely aware of what I think my kids needs are. And again, I'm not shit talking my parents or anything like that, but I was around teachers, coaches, and fucking, you know, mentors a lot in my life. Why didn't anybody ever go, dude, you should go fucking just talk to somebody. Why didn't that ever happen? I mean, so, why, like, why didn't it ever happen? Did you ever 
ask someone why it didn't happen or do you have any ideas as to why it may not have happened uh, i was catholic that's a big why yeah so like deny 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 it's it's where i think i got this work ethic that is marred and fucking just beating the crap out of myself and then only giving myself grace when i'm physically unable to perform and it's something that i've struggled with because i know that i'm a much better performer when i rest like uh, last Friday was my first day off since July 28th, like work day. Everybody Jesus else is working, Joel. but well, it's, there's a number of reasons why, but basically I'm driving a pharmacy by myself. Every transaction coming in and every transaction going out have to go through my hands. And there's four other families that, that you know, rely not only on the income, but then there's also the couple thousand customers that we have that, you know, have become a part of my extended family. So it's like, I've got all these reasons to keep going. And, you know, I lost a, a, a relatively crucial member of the accounting team. And, but then also my manager, the woman who kept me sane was having a baby on September 28th. So it's like, I had to make the bed, make the changes and then run everything until she's coming back on the 28th of December. Oh, <laughs> that was an know, orgasmic sigh of relief, Joel. You know what I might do on Monday? What? Poop. Oh, yep. That's, that's, it's on my, it's, I'm going to put it on my fucking agenda. 145 poop. Poop. Why? Because I can go somewhere without being. You seen Joel for five minutes on my fucking right. day. Right. I don't think I've. I don't think I've urinated this season without hearing my name being called while I'm in the bathroom peeing. That's it's, it's, it's. It's nice to feel important, but it's, but you're also stretched way too fucking thin. A little bit, a little bit. So I we took Friday off, and my wife's like, "You check an email. You're cut off." And I was like, "Ooh, <laughs> that's how you get my attention." I mean, you know, I didn't check my email. I didn't. I said, if you need me, you text me or call me because I'm not going to, I'm not going to put myself in my phone. So I forced myself and it was very uncomfortable. Like my stomach hurt all day. Like, and I, and I remember asking my wife, can we just not rush anywhere? What do you mean? I'm like, we'll get up after a couple of snoozes. So like, you know, 5.30 and we'll do our little workout. We'll get the kids off to the bus. Once they're done with the bus, we'll get showered and get ready. And then I'll go pick up this kid. You go pick up the, and I just don't want to rush at all because part of my anxiety sits in my freaking stomach because I'm going, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go. And it's, and it's baked into my DNA because of what I think Catholicism fucking did to me, which was don't sit down. There are people that can only sit down and like, I, like everything that I did or enjoyed made me feel fucking guilty, which is stupid. And I know that it's not that dramatic, but to me, that's how it fucking felt. Like, I understand. Oh, you like music? You spend, music? you spend money on that music? you should have given 10% of that to the person next to you who hasn't fucking worked in a year. Like I would go there I would, I would go all the way down those fucking rabbit holes, man. And that's something that also is based on a kind of like OCD, ADHD, but like in a very, very, it's negative self-talk based on a fucking complete stigma baked into me subconsciously. Yeah. If I, I wouldn't it. have gone, I don't like this. I probably wouldn't have noticed that. I get so, it. I get it. But trust me, dude, I'm like, I'm one of those people who needs to be doing something 24 hours a day, seven days. If I'm not doing something, I should be asleep. Yeah. I'm one of those people. Yeah. Um, and the guilt Terrible. and all of that, it just, I, anyway, go on. No, it's, that's, that's all I wanted to break from on Friday. And what was cool is that we got like three hours into our day because we we're shopping for Christmas presents. Mm -hmm. That's traditionally something, something that we do the first week of December. But of course I had to wait till the 18th of December to take that time. But we got almost everything that we needed to do done in the first two or three hours. And we went to fucking bed, bath and behind. 
<laughs> Dude, have you been there without being in a rush? Yes. Oh my God, there's so many things. <laughs> there are like, a lot of things. I didn't even get to go into the kitchen gadget aisle, which I'm upset about because I love kitchen gadgets. You do like kitchen gadgets, as yeah, as I, your social media makes very clear. I'm bro, like I, I'm on this deviled eggs kick. I have I now have a newfound appreciation for people who have been closet deviled eggs fans and just never never actually elucidated it and fucking said it out loud. Like I'm thinking about starting a gang. For people who like deviled eggs? Mm-hmm. Now what would this gang do? as opposed to eat deviled eggs. Or if the gang tried to actually do stuff other than eat deviled eggs, wouldn't they then be distracted by the deviled eggs? It's a, it's a very, very strong possibility that they would be distracted by the very eggs that they, they had sworn an oath to uphold. I haven't figured that part out yet, but I do know there's a community out there. Just, you know, there's gonna be a lot of puns and a lot of recipes and a lot of tips. And a lot, you know, it's just like with beekeeping. If you ask 10 beekeepers the same question, you'll get 55 different fucking answers. How the fuck did you get into beekeeping? (laughs) This is great. The idea, first of all, of of somebody doing beekeeping as a job messes my head up because I am very, 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 very afraid of bees. Mm -hmm. So so I'm going to give you the ending of the story first, and then I'll go to the beginning. The okay. ending of the story is, after the last time I almost died, I had to give away the company, and now I walk around with two EpiPens and Benadryl on me at all times, 12 months out of the year. So now let's go to the beginning of the story. So, and you're going to think that I'm stoned, which is very possible, but I'm going to tell you right now, everything I'm about to tell you about Joel and bees is the fucking truth. Okay. So in 2002, I am the first student group to travel to the country of Russia in March 2002 with Western Illinois University's agricultural organization, or fuck you want to call it. The reason I wanted to go to Russia is because, yes, I like vodka, but Russian history is the fucking jam, dude. Like the pictures of communism and like, just like, it's so cold. And like, I was always just completely fucking enamored with like, you know, parts of Mongolia and then the fucking tundra and permafrost and Lake Baikal. Have you ever read about Lake Baikal? I have not. Holy fuck, dude. Like, it'll blow your fucking mind. Like, Russia fascinated me. So a buddy of mine named Stan Holot, who forever to this day is a little bitch, convinced me to fucking take this class to go to fucking Russia. And then we would see Russia together for 20-something days. We're going to travel the entire country of Russia. Entire country of Russia is 11 time zones big. To think that you can travel the whole country in 17 or 20 something fucking days is a bit of a stretch. So we saw about this much. Countries <laughs> about this big, you know, say the country is as big as a basketball. We saw just the SP, the A, and the L of the word Spalding. That's how fucking big Russia is, right? So Stan Holot, who lives in Colorado and is a fucking tree doctor and a little bitch, convinced me to take this class so that we can go to Russia. All you do is raise the money. So I take this class. I borrow the money from my friend, Brad. Hi, Brad. And I'm like, dude, hell yeah, bro. We're going to fucking Russia. Cause I thought this dude had money saved. Cause we were bartenders at the time. I was like, what do you mean you ain't got no money? The day after the money was supposed to be turned in, Stan Holot, the little bitch told me he wasn't going to Russia. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? So I had to take this class and go to Russia with a group of complete strangers, 99% of which were farming students. They don't sound like very fun people. Actually, just like with anybody, if you get to know them, they're actually probably going to be some of your best friends for the rest of your life. Okay. One of the people specifically is my friend Patrick O'Hearn, who 
just he was this quiet kid and we ended up like just laughing about the same thing one day and we became fast friends during this class and we go to russia and there was three of us it was me patrick calvin and then uh, my friend nathan so there was there was four of us there was three other dudes and we just kind of got along it wasn't like we had to be around each other but we would always kind of gravitate back towards something and point and go <laughs> you know it was they were the dudes right well patrick ends ended up becoming the co-owner of one of the few family-owned marijuana cultivators in the state of illinois nature's grace and wellness which is awesome, not only because as a fan of marijuana as a medicine, but also as a fan of marijuana, just as kind of like as a culture, because I'm a craft beer fan and seeing a culture actually start is really fucking cool to me. But because he got involved in this, because he has family members with MS and I'm like, fuck yes. So I was already a fan of him because I saved his life in Russia, another story. But then now I get to actually work with him because we're trying to change the stigmas around mental health and talking about marijuana i've been reading marijuana, about about your work about there yeah, yeah. It's fucking awesome right so i'm in russia it's fucking cold there yeah that's so my understanding negative fucking 20 whatever it might have nah, been I'm good. negative fucking negative calvins i mean it was fucking cold so one of the things i'm in with an ag group so we were going to see pig farms and fucking dairies and you know growing operations and what do you need to grow plants fertilizer fucking bees bro oh so we go, to the large, we go to the largest <laughs> indoor greenhouse in all of Moscow. Now, like every spy movie you see of Russia, you know how it's like fucking cold and rainy and like sure. people with guns and shit. It was I like saw Rocky IV. Way worse. Yeah, way worse than that. So we pull up at in the dead of night in front of this warehouse and there's guys with guns at the fucking front of this greenhouse. And I'm like, bro, this is a scene out of a movie. And if I don't make it out alive, tell the girl that I'm dating, which is the girl that I married, tell her that I would have married her. So I'm assuming I'm going to die and we walk in and it's a fucking greenhouse, floor to ceiling greenhouse in these separate rooms. And all these fucking like troughs are going up and down on these conveyors and people are weeding and watering and like tending these fucking plants, lettuce, watermelon, fucking, I'm just going, it's like walking into Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, but with like actual nature. <laughs> right. Like, Holy. And I'm blown away, but everybody that I'm with is like, that's just a conveyor. Like what's, what's wrong? And I was like, <laughs> fucking this is like fucking making candy They're like that's a cucumber right there <laughs> all of you nature's that, candy that's how they acted the entire time like when i almost threw up at a chicken farm because the chicken farm smells worse than anything you never fucking imagine it's and not only does it smell bad if you breathe it in for longer than you know, a couple two three seconds you are going to feel not only a headache for a couple fucking days but you could end up giving yourself the cancer like it's fucking terrible right whoa Okay. Yeah, some nasty shit. So, I, but I'm I'm just going back to the fact that I'm fascinated by everything. I'm like, whoa, cool. So our translator at the time, her name was Olga, and she did not take anything. Like she did, she gave no fucks, but she would not take any shit. Like she was she was the shit. So I would ask her questions that I know, even though she's an English to Russian translator, I know that she's not always going to get my jokes. So maybe I can be funny to one of the people around me. Right. I was just fucking with her, fucking with her, whatever. And I was like, dude, like, how are they fertilizing these cucumbers? Does somebody go around like with a mitten on and just like jerk off the stamens? Because I, I grew pot in college and the lady's like, <laughs> no, Joel, it's the bees. And I was like, it's negative 20 whatever outside. It's, there's snow on the ground that's been frozen for eight fucking weeks. What are you talking about, bees? And bees, right. The bees. And there was like this central, like orange-hued silo right in the middle of this fucking building, floor to ceiling with beehives and when you looked and you kind of went uh, 
you saw they were fucking everywhere. I didn't even know they were there until I knew that they were there. That's like, the moment like, when I would have left. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. And then <laughs> other people are like, like looking at plants and like they're landing on their, on their sweaters and then flying off. Like they didn't give a fuck about you. You're not over there like slapping them because you realize that bees know that they die when they sting you. Like wasps do not. Okay. Fucking hornets do not. They will continue to fuck with you because they know they don't die from just after one sting. Dude, if a fucking honeybee stings you, it's there and gets like stuck in your skin because it has barbs. And when you pull it out, it you essentially remove the stinger from the fucking ad- abdomen on the bee. The bee's dead, bro. So bees don't want to fucking sting you. So I was like, what? That's fucking crazy. And I was like all over. This is, this is fucking cool. So we go along our merry way. And I'm still fascinated. But then we start traveling around the country, which gets you exhausted. And then you start going places and drinking. And then you're hungover for like a week at a time. Like <laughs> days turn to night and all those things, whatever. Well, we get down to, I think the place was called Timuryazov. And it was like a, it was an agricultural university. And when we got off the freaking bus, there was like this concrete statue of a bee right before we went to this little like laboratory. And she's like, this is the first place on the planet where they successfully artificially inseminated a queen bee. And I was like, <laughs> because I'm, I'm fucking, what was I, 21, 22 at the time? And she said, inseminate. I'm like, yeah. so I, I was being a fucking, I was being a jackass. And she goes, ah, I see we've met our beekeeper. And I was like, nah, whatever. So that was 2002. Fast forward to 2011. I'm rehearsing for a show that I'm playing. I'm at a festival in Minneapolis called Soundset with a rap group called Rubber Room. And I'm on Facebook promoting the show to help us pay for the trip to Minneapolis. And it says on the side, Wabansi Community College, beekeeping class, $19. I was like, oh shit, hell yeah. So I I told my sister, I'm like, you got to fucking go to this thing and let me know how it is. It's only 20 bucks. She's like, all right, I'll go. So she goes and she's like, it really wasn't for me, but you're going to like this guy. You should go. So I went because she said the dude was cool. And instead of taking like a two hour class, I took like a fucking 10 hour immersive fucking class. And I was like, fuck yeah. So you're telling me that not only do I get honey, which I'm not like a huge honey snob. I am now, but I mean, I don't like covet it. I don't like, I don't have a thirst for it. What is a honey snob? Are there someone, someone who knows the season and the predominant pollen source of the makeup of the honey? Wow. Yeah. Did not well, know such a thing existed. Dude, there are really weird white people out there. <laughs> that I knew for sure. <laughs> for so sure. I, I took this dude's class and then I got permission to be as, you know, I'll be your free labor. So I did that for a year. And then I got a couple hives, which went to four, which went to 18, which went to like 30. Uh, I went up a little bit more and then it came back down to like, I just got, I think I had 18 in my last spot, 10 at the last spot. But what was happening is that maybe once or twice a year, I would get like a bad sting or a bad set of stings. And it would set me into like this fucking horrible place physiologically. So like one summer I had to take four different rounds of steroids to get the swelling down. And Good then, Lord. So I was wearing like glove, like rubber gloves under my gloves. And then I bought like this $400 suit. And then I, I made sure that I didn't have any bananas because banana is the scent of the panic pheromone of the honeybee. And they'll fucking go after your shit. No fresh leather. Same reason. It smells like bananas, which is the panic pheromone. They go fucking crazy. So I did all these things to protect myself, including taking Benadryl on the way to the hives. And I did this because I had a lot of money invested in this shit and people were counting on it. And I was getting breweries to like agree to fucking like put my honey in their beers and like i think it already fell but i have a yeah it's that can right there that's with freaking 18th street in gary and mickler san diego like 
two of my favorite breweries on the planet. My honey is in one of their beers. Like, I'm wow. like, yeah, this is great. But you can't make money on honey because global warming, pesticide. Mm, okay. And then also for me one time, homeless people just opened up one of my hives. It was 20 fucking degrees out. Killed the whole fucking group. Jeez. So over time, my reactions are getting worse. And then one day, I got stung by a bald-faced hornet on my temple right here. And my palms started itching and my butthole started itching. And I started like getting really, really sweaty. And then my face folded over my eyeballs. Like I got real, like full on anaphylaxis. I'm calling people like, hey man, something's wrong. And then my voice got scratchy. My wife's like, call the ambulance. So I had to call an ambulance. And then the Aurora Fire Department showed up and saved me. I had to walk them through using the ampule of epinephrine twice. But yeah, so it turns out I am now deathly allergic to all stinging insects. And the last time that I almost died was a year ago, April. And I was being filmed by a photographer and showing my, the guy that I was trying to like mentor so he could help me with the labor. I wasn't even near a hive. I got, I took two stingers to the knee. My tongue went numb instantly and my heart rate shot to like 235. Holy shit. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then I chewed Benadryl. I don't know if you've ever chewed Benadryl, Mm-mm. but it tastes, it tastes worse than Malort. <laughs> and I should know, I just had two shots of Malort yesterday. So, I mean, it was fucking terrible, but that basically was the point where I'm like, all right, even though I love all the things that come from beekeeping and I love the idea that I'm doing something for the greater world, I can't keep bees alive because of pesticides and global warming and I'm going to die. And my wife would kill me if I died from a bee. She, yes. <laughs> so Don't I go out like Macaulay Culkin in that movie. Yeah, bro. Thomas J can't see without his glasses. Jeez. What's fucked up, dude, is I took a lot of shit. Like I'm in the ambulance, the guy's like, who becomes a beekeeper if they're allergic to bees? I'm like, bro, fuck you. I didn't do that. <laughs> the other way around, I wasn't allergic. Now I am really allergic. Now you're super allergic. And people are like, oh, you can do apitherapy and you can reverse that. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I don't want to take steroids again in my life, dude. Because I turn into like, I'm a fucking asshole on steroids. Can't sleep, can't concentrate. Like when I got my wisdom teeth out, I remember I bought the first Red Dead Redemption thinking that I was going to, I'm going to play this game from fucking start to finish. Five minutes in, I'm like, fuck, what happened? Like, I could not pay attention. <laughs> Bullshit. Oh, man. I just don't sit well with steroids. So, yeah, so I had to stop being a beekeeper. But it sucked, though, because I was the guy who legalized beekeeping in Yorkville. <laughs> can't even keep the bees. Yeah, you can't even keep the bees. Holy shit. All right. So, we definitely have to do a part two of this. I'm going to yeah. say that now. But one question I, I definitely want to ask is like you seem like a a super confident dude and you also seem like a dude you're a dude without being a dick right like some people take some men sort of take their masculinity and just use it to be an asshole Mm -hmm. and it's clear that being an asshole is something that you actively work against Mm -hmm. as opposed to how did that how did the fact that you are a decent person and a fun guy but not a hyper aggressive masculine dick how did that happen because it's like right and you're also like you're you know you can go through i go through your social posts and you're very personable and you're very sensitive and Mm -hmm. you're very vulnerable and you're very open on top of that so it's like you got sort of it's uh, like a good combination of, I guess, like sort of broness and 
but like modern in, or or without... inten intentional bronus because right. I, I do think that we've done ourselves a disservice and i say we as men between the ages of i don't know like 16 and like 60 we put ourselves in these it's not even a cast system it's like a cast for like a movie system like you're only one of 20 characters right and there's no like you're in one lane. Like if there's an Excel spreadsheet of fucking masculinity and just being a fucking male or even just a person who identifies as male or a person with half the fucking plumbing, who gives a shit? Like right. anybody who identifies as something has to pick one of those characters. And it's almost like I got to the point where I realized that I can apologize for my defaults. And I mean defaults, meaning the things that I do without thinking, or I can curate how other people see me as a way of validating the fact that everybody's complicated. And like, I remember having to justify why a guitar solo made me like, look like I was gonna throw up cry. Like, yeah, I don't know if you listen to Pink Floyd. I, I mean, I know I'm not a big Pink Floyd so, fan, but yeah. There are people that are all the way one way or all the way the other. So the fact that you're in the middle, I appreciate that. So that's totally fucking cool. I mean, you don't have to be anything, but I just appreciate the info I'm fucking talking about. So there's a song called Mother. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time a guitar solo felt like a vision of something. And it was, it felt like I was watching someone push a full glass of water off of a kitchen counter. When that falls, that <gasps> I felt that from a guitar solo. And I was like, oh, and like I almost threw up. It was the most beautiful, like I'm getting choked up now. It was the most beautiful guitar solo start out of anything I'd ever heard. Like I was falling down a mountain, like, but in a good way. Right. And I remember like I started like doing what I just did. I got like almost clumped. And a guy in the backseat of the car, because I'm smoking marijuana with friends of mine in a friend of mine's driveway. And he was the guy that introduced me to Pink Floyd. And he was like, Wanna, I'm going to take your breath away. And I was like, let's do this. Because I was into Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and Led Zeppelin, and Jimi Hendrix. But I never really got into Pink Floyd because my dad was so blatantly not a pothead. So I didn't get into it until somebody <laughs> showed it to me. But come to find out, dude, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and Young, those motherfuckers were cheap as balls. Mm -hmm. it, it was all a ruse, I tell you. Um, <laughs> but like, I remember hearing that guitar solo and having to defend why I felt a certain way. And the guy in the driver's seat, Mike Waters is his name. One of the best fucking people on the planet because he introduced me to Pink Floyd. He turns around and gives this dude a fucking look and the dude shut up. And I was like, I want to be both. The guy who fucking goes to bat for the dude without saying shit. And the guy who's not afraid to cry because of a guitar solo. So knowing that, and then learning through my soon to be wife, you know, a number of fucking years ago that being vulnerable is actually quite attractive because it, it shows that you are willing to, you're not going to hide something. So if you don't hide your emotions about something, you're probably not going to fucking lie about shit. And that's like one of the reasons why when social media came out, why I was so against it is because I had to deal with people in different environments, seeing how I am around certain people. And it's not that in one group of friends, I say dick and penis and titties and the other friend, I say vagina and breasts and knockers. It's because <laughs> people don't understand how situational communication is. And like, it's all about context. It, like you have to know who you're hanging out with to hear what you're saying. And that's why sometimes 
I don't get as pissed off about hearing locker room talk because yes, it would not be something that you would say in front of someone. It's not to say that it's not fucking offensive. And I'm, I'm not saying that I wasn't guilty of it back before, you know, I got smacked with the woke stick, which was essentially a woman who wasn't afraid to beat my ass for being disrespectful. Amen. But I conceive things contextually and not take them so far to one end that this person should never be allowed to fucking do this, that, or the other thing. Right. right. So by being aware of the fact that I can't hide the fact I'm emotional about music. I'm emotional about the written word. I'm emotional about like coincidences. Like they, like, I don't like using the word trigger, but they make me feel a certain way. And the only way that my body can react to them is by getting choked up by not being able to talk. And then my eyes get super watery. The same thing happens when I yawn. So I can go like, oh no, it's cool. I'm just yawning. But then <laughs> when I got sick of saying, no, I'm yawning, I would explain to people who were blatantly masculine and came from families where the mom didn't work. The dad was the sole breadwinner and he was an asshole carpenter or fucking painter and came home and drank until he passed out and was an overall dick to his, his wife. I didn't have that. I had two medical professionals. Both of my parents were working all the fucking time. And because they were licensed professionals, but also the business owner, it meant that they were essentially living through the business because there was no else to keep the business open and be parents who were paying for private school and vacations and guitar lessons and all the other shit. Sure. So my parents were fucking like amazing at how they just, I don't want to just kidding, but like, it's amazing how they were able to fucking succeed. And now I'm hoping in the next couple of years to allow them to retire gracefully as I take their fucking business that they bestowed upon me to the next generation of helping people. But it's like knowing that I have, I have an opportunity with any, every interaction. I can be just the way my body lets myself be, or I can fight it, or I can pump myself up, cheer myself on for not being afraid to show emotion, not being afraid to apologize. Like, dude, I learned very fucking early on that when you fuck up, saying I'm sorry and then shutting the fuck up can normally help you mend whatever fucking fence you just tore down by being a fucking belligerent asshole. This is true. So learning how to apologize was, and then also being a waiter and a bartender, bro, I would get yelled at for things that had nothing to do with me. And I would impact my tip by saying, it's not my fault. Being defensive is my worst trait. I am defensive about a lot of things and it takes conscious effort to not respond like I'm being defensive but it takes even more conscious effort to not be offended by those things and let it fucking like fuck me up for a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm relating to that too. So I just like, I have to be, I have to hold myself accountable. And that's what I was talking about with social media. I did. I put, I participated in social media after a few years of trepidation, mainly to make sure that I would be comfortable saying one thing in front of everyone I knew whether I was dropping F-bombs, talking about my, the beauty of my wife's rear end, didn't matter what the fuck I was talking about. I was going to be the same person in front of everybody because I didn't think that the context mattered. You are my friend. This is how I talk. This is how I express myself. This is how I communicate. If you are offended by it or don't like my politics or you're a racist, bigoted, homophobic fucker, get the fuck out of my life. <laughs> I'm going to impact those who are impacting me. And I know that everything is built on relationships. So it's like, why would I want to be disingenuous? Why would I want to be somebody in front of like, it's like looking at people's LinkedIn feeds and then looking at how they are on Twitter on two in the morning. Sure. Like, I don't want to be either one of those extremes. I'm just, I'm going to do my best to, and this is something that comes from just being a, like a creative and, or thinking that I'm creative. And I like to make myself laugh. 
So I'm going to put something up that in a year, and I've been doing this for the last like six or seven years, I'm going to capture that picture of my kid doing something that inspires me in the moment because I want to see that next year and the year after and the year after. I've essentially used social media as my way of making myself sharply exhale out of my nose holes or say, Julie, look at our fucking kids. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. So I'm, I'm trying to push that into all arenas of my life where I'm not a certain way in one position. I'm a different way, different times of the day, year, depending on what's going on around me. I can be a fucking super polite, you know, angel one minute and uh, a rambunctious teenager who drops the F-bomb when he shouldn't in the next. And it's like, yes, I do attempt to control the majority of those things, but I don't do it in a way where I, like, when I control them, I'm feeling disingenuous or I'm uncomfortable. So that's like, and I, I honestly think that talk therapy is the reason why I'm like, well, this is the way that I am. And my counselor's going, what's wrong with that? I was like, <laughs> nope. nothing. She's like, then stop thinking there's something wrong with it. And she was like, she's giving me like the, the look at my wife, like, why are you doing that? She would say, why do you talk to yourself like that? I don't know. And when you don't have a good enough reason, you don't have an excuse, you don't have any fucking anything to base why you do something on, well, you got to come up with a better answer. Than yeah. That. So yeah. instead of coming up with a better answer, I just like, all right, instead of thinking that when something's wrong, I did it. Instead of thinking when someone's tone suggests that somebody fucked up, I don't immediately become defensive. When someone comes at me for a problem that is totally out of my hands, instead of saying, not my problem, what if I just let them talk? Because I know that when I'm pissed or fired up or angry or happy or sad or emotional about something, I just want to say the things that I'm saying. I don't need you to do anything with it. Unless I'm asking you for a fucking taco or ordering coffee or fucking saying, hey, can you please let me borrow your freaking, your knife sharpener? Because this motherfucker is dull as shit. Like, I'm not asking you for things. Let me just say the stupid things that come to my mind when I'm trying to relax or let me just complain about the things that are fucking bothering me because that's part of the thing too is that we're afraid to complain because if you're complaining, you're whining and you're bitching. Sure. Bro, how the fuck do you express yourself if you can't whine or bitch? Half of the shit that I laugh at is me complaining about. I mean, it's probably important to not make it, you know, you don't make it all you do. Right. But yeah. I can't imagine anybody going through life without any complaints. Whether they be, I mean, validity is in the eye of the beholder, but yeah, that's just uh, it's silly to expect anyone to go through life without feeling complainy or sulky or whatever it is. Yeah, but like, I, I think it, you know, you talked about context, but it all goes back to just choose your fucking audience. I'm not going to get on a Zoom call with you and complain about something that I know is inconsequential to you in a moment where you're dealing with X, Y, and Z. Sure. If we're having a conversation over a taco and you get done telling me something that you are laughing at yourself because you let it bother you, that might be when I, that's my opening. Or, hey, can I tell you about something stupid that's really bugging me? I don't know how many times friends of mine have said, can I just bitch to you for a second? Come on, give it to me. And they bitch about something and they're like, I know that sounds stupid. I'm like, that doesn't sound stupid at all. I'd be pretty fucking pissed too. <laughs> and that's the other thing too, is that when, so when I first got elected, people would call me and they would fucking yell, just, ah, where are the plows? I'm like, it's fucking Sunday at 6am. Where the fuck are you going? Right. Instead of like, I used to like, I used to pride myself on the fact that I would match energy and then I would exceed it as like, uh -huh, something to brag about. But then like five years into doing it or three years into doing this shit, some lady called me about something that had nothing to do with me, but I could tell she was heated and she was like, on the verge of fucking exploding. 
So I let her go. And then 20 minutes into her yelling at me about something I had nothing to do with or could help with, she goes, I'm sorry, do you have somewhere else to be? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm right here. And I just let her go. And I took down some notes. So I knew who she was, where she lived, kind of in essence, what her problem was. And then by the end of it, I kind of had an idea of how I could help her simply because I let her fucking talk for however long she fucking yelled. And come to find out, I had a friend who had a friend who had a friend who could help her with this and it had nothing to do with the city at all. But it was listening to somebody fucking bitch. And then, she, and then when, we, when it was all done and I gave her the phone number and it all worked out, she's like, I'm so sorry that I had to whine. I'm like, actually, <laughs> I think it's the first time I stopped and listened to somebody simply because I knew that you needed to hear me or I needed to hear yeah. you more than I needed to fucking hear myself talk. Right. It's less about the issue and more that she needed a vent. Yeah. So by doing that, what you do is if, if she's a fucking bull, right, and you're holding the red cape and you keep lifting it, she's going to keep wasting your energy and it's never going to fucking go anywhere. Sure. But the idea is to keep running until you're fucking like, you're ready to fucking get it off your chest. Getting it off of your chest is getting it off of your chest. And people who say, ah, it's not worth talking about. Man. You, you got to be a better friend to yourself. Because I, I honestly think, and I, I do this with random friends of mine, because I have a lot of friends from the internet that I've, you know, I've never met in person. And there are some people that I had never met in person for like 15 years. And I meet them in person. I'm like, wow, you've been my best friend for like 10 years. And I say best friend. I don't say that a lot. Right. And it's like, I'm serious. Like, because I'll put something on Facebook and it starts a conversation in text, email, chat, G chat, you fucking name it. And I can see if I had like a graph of all my interactions with my friend, Reggie, who uh, died in April. This motherfucker would start a conversation on one form of communication, message board. It would spill over into email. Two days later, I'd get a fucking meme tagged in Twitter. Twitter would lead to a DM. He would send me a link to an Instagram post about fucking the Illuminati. And then that would go to a face like, it was this nonstop fucking like maze of giggles. And this motherfucker would write things that you didn't know that you were being insulted until you read the last sentence. And then you, <laughs> then you read it again and you would thank him. Like just the utmost wizardry, right? That dude became a part of my life and I never fucking met him in person. And he was one of the first people that I would call or text. Do you got a minute? Not because I wanted to like whine about something, but because I wanted to laugh. This motherfucker, like right after he passed away in April and he was the first Zoom wake that I've ever been to and it was fucking horrible. I'm sorry, bud. But like throughout my like recap of my relationship with him, there's not a time that went by that he wasn't genuinely finding a way to make me smile. And he was brilliant about it. It's like, fuck, I want to be like Reggie. Like matter of fact, I named my wart after Reggie and Reggie almost killed me twice. So whenever anybody says Reggie, I think about my wart, which makes me think about Reggie. Fucking Reggie, dude. Almost killed me. That's a, a interesting relationship to have with the wart. It is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because when something keeps coming back, if you don't name it, it's just the wart. Which sure. is a little disrespectful to right. both of you because there should be like a backstory. I mean, every <laughs> character has a fucking, you know, a prologue. Let's be right. real. But it, like, it's, it's just funny how like I met him on the internet in like 2000 and I've known him for two decades and I had only met him in person in 2016. And it was like, I've never met you in person, but I just talked to you yesterday. And that's the kind of shit where I was like, fuck, I want to be like this dude because he made everybody welcome. And he, there was never a dumb question. 
like yeah sometimes he would start off with some attitude just be like are you fucking with me but there was never a dumb question he the dude took me around new york city he took me to the uh, graffiti hall of fame in 2016 that's dope and i was and i was like what the fuck is this and here's this dude named reggie his actually his real name is carl with a k carl gold from the bronx he would tell stories because he knew the history of everything like when he got off the fucking train at central what is it central station grand central grand central station we're walking out of there to go get a bagel and he points at this building he goes remember the movie ghostbusters i'm like fuck you yeah and he goes this is from that and that's from this i'm like fuck and i look at my buddy tim and i'm like dude is it gonna be like this all day he's like just keep buying him waters <laughs> and we walked 40 fucking miles that day all through central park like he didn't make me feel stupid for being a tourist and i love being a tourist like i like that's why like living around chicago is the fucking best because having lived in a lot of places chicago is by far the most beautiful city i've ever fucking been to wow i mean central park is gorgeous don't get me wrong but it is new york ain't got shit on fucking chicago in my wow a little territorial uh, attitude right now i like it well bet bet. i like it one thing i just realized that didn't get mentioned in the podcast is that joel is also an author he's got a book called this call may be recorded that looks hella funny so you might want to check that out if you like funny with some serious thrown in follow joel on twitter and instagram at joel freeders that is j-o-e-l F-R-I-E-D-E-R-S. It's his name, y'all. And of course, please support Hope for the Day's mission. They are one of the charities that does fantastic work in the mental health and suicide prevention realm. This podcast is based on my own experiences uh, with mental uh, illness, mental wellness, whatever you want to call it. Um, So it would stand to reason that I'm a big supporter of uh, mental wellness for everybody. Uh, not just related to men. Uh, everybody should uh, see a therapist or get help if they need it. So you can find out more about Hope for the Day and donate if you feel so inclined at hftd.org. hftd.org. So this podcast is all about helping men become better men, sharing stories, talking about being open and practicing being truthful and honest and having feelings and all that good stuff, but done in a way that's maybe not so, I, I want to say obvious about it, or, or it, I don't want it to feel like a, a, an after school special or anything like that. It's just people conversing, trying to make the world a better place, trying to make themselves better people. So if you support that mission, if you want men to be better, better men, if you want people to be better people, make sure you rate, you subscribe, and you follow this podcast. Uh, we really appreciate your patronage. Uh, we appreciate you listening and spreading the word. I am on social media. Instagram is Detox Pod Guy. Twitter is Tiz Mike Joseph. You can email me even, because people still do that, by the way, at detoxpod at gmail.com. Look forward to hearing from you. If you have a guest that you'd like to suggest, if you want to be on the show yourself, just hit me up. I am here and I am waiting for you, standing by the hotline, waiting for the phone to ring so you can tell me A, how much you love detoxicity and B, how much you want to be on the show or you know somebody who wants to be on the show or you have constructive criticism or whatever. I just love communicating with people and uh, I'm not being sarcastic about that last part. (laughs) Also not sarcastic about this, as I record this, we are still in the middle of the COVID-19 hellscape. So I really, really want to urge you to you know, just protect yourself, protect the others around you, wear a mask, uh, social distance, do all that good stuff. Just in the name of empathy and being kind to one another, it's important that we all stay safe and healthy. So please do so. Thank you for listening.